Welcome to the Women Who Code podcast. The deal is that uh, first we need to stand up for what we believe in, which is fairness, which has to do with treating people like you want to be treated. This show features conversations between diverse technology professionals discussing women in the industry, cutting edge innovations, the future of work, deeply technical topics, and the ways that we can all work together to make the world a more inclusive place. I'm Joey Rosenberg, President, Product and Communications here at Women Who Code, and I am thrilled to welcome today's guest, Craig Newmark. Hi, Craig, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Craig is a philanthropist who gets stuff done. So I'm really excited for this conversation. He's most commonly known for founding the online classified ad service Craigslist. And today Craig is doing some really interesting work to protect the country and help people out in areas such as building networks to help protect the country in cybersecurity, defending against disinformation warfare, fighting online harassment, uh, supporting ethical and trustworthy journalism, particularly in underserved communities, supporting veterans and military families, supporting organizations advancing women in tech, like Women Who Code and media, and supporting pigeon protection. There's a lot of work that you're up to, and I really appreciate you giving a little bit of us a little bit of your time today. I can't wait to unpack some of this great work and learn a little bit more about some of the good things you're doing. So let's jump right in. All right, Craig. So first, you've been heavily involved in philanthropy through Craig Newmark Philanthropies. What drives your philanthropic efforts and what motivates you particularly to support women in tech? Uh, Ultimately, it has to do with the moral compass set in Sunday school by Mr. and Mrs. Levin long, long ago. They told me that I should treat people like I want to be treated. And among other things, they told me to know when enough is enough. Now, this means giving people a break. This means that I am my brother's and my sister's keeper now and then. So I've been lucky in the industry. Uh, Frankly, any of my success has been that I've uh, been in the right time and right place by accident. And I know that makes me the forest gump of the internet, but I've been pretty lucky And I don't see any point in just keeping it all for myself. So I'm trying to give it away in smart ways that help protect the country, meaning I help and defend the people who help and defend our country. Wow, that's really interesting, a really interesting approach and um, an interesting reflection on your success. Um, You've been in the tech industry for a while now. You've been involved in lots of different parts of it. What is your view about the current representation of women in tech, both in startups and established companies? It's not what I'd like to see. I mean, when I went to college, I guess this was, uh, I think, second wave feminism. And I saw a lot of women going into computer sciences and engineering. And things started off really well in the uh, late 70s and 80s. But then... All of a sudden, a lot of uh, women in those fields seemed to disappear, and that seemed wrong somehow. I didn't understand a number of the problems involved, including a lack of, uh, oh, lack of opportunity and then outright harassment. Nowadays, 
I'm trying to help other people address that kind of thing. For example, uh, oh, helping out women in tech groups, but also helping groups like the Coalition Against Online Violence, which is committed to fighting uh, harassment directed against women, which is a huge problem. The worst of it is directed towards women in journalism. And they seem to be the most motivated to fight back. So that's what I'm seeing right now. So I've seen a problem. I don't understand like I should, but my strategy is normally finding people who do understand a problem, who know how to fight back, and then I'll help them out. That's a really interesting time period that you talked about and your observation of having women in tech, because there was a point where women were really climbing in the university and talent pipeline. And we actually have people in our community today who were educated in, uh, in computer science in that same time frame, And they talk about how when they went to school, it seemed really normal for, for them to be in computer science and it didn't seem different for them to be a, a woman in tech. And then they just watched their teams, women just kind of fall out of their teams and they fast forward to today and they look around and oftentimes feel like the only one in the room. So that's part of why we do the work we do is to create that sense of belonging. And when you land in this industry, that harassment that you talk about is something that really can drive people out. And so we want to create that sense of belonging. Um, so we really appreciate your support in that space. Uh, let's, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about cybersecurity. This is an area that you are passionate about and your philanthropic efforts have included support for cybersecurity. Can you talk a little bit why about why it's important to invest in this area in particular? Well, in 2017 or so, I did some research, found that we are a country at war. There are adversaries overseas which really do want to hurt us. And one big means of the attack is through uh, cyberspace, specifically the internet. So I figure uh, a lot of people sacrifice a lot to defend us, like uh, vets and military families. Military families give up a lot. And I figured, well, I should uh, do some of that. So I started finding people doing good work, help them out, finding more people who do good work and help them out. And uh, these days... Most of my time is spent in cybersecurity, but also supporting vets and military families. Tell me a little bit about um, how the world would benefit from having more diverse people in cybersecurity looking at the challenges from different perspectives. Well, the deal is that uh, first we need to stand up for what we believe in, which is fairness, which has to do with treating people like you want to be treated. That's a big deal there. Then in practice, our enemies are trying new ways of attacking us all the time. That means you continually need new thinking, new ways of looking at attacking and defense. And that means you need people from all walks of life. Finally, the numerical need for cybersecurity specialists is so big in the hundreds of thousands that you need everyone you can get to enlist. I keep thinking about it being like World War II, that if you, uh, oh, if you could do something to help protect the country, then you should do it. Let's talk a little bit about how technology is evolving. So tell me about your view around the, the evolution of technology and that rapid pace of development 
as balanced against um, privacy and data security. Talk to me about those those different areas and how do we get that balance right? Well, in terms of uh, making things better, we're having what uh, Homeland Security CISA calls shields up or secure our world. One of the uh, technologies which will make things uh, a lot better or a lot less bad are passkeys. They replace passwords and passkeys, sometimes it's really easy to trick you into giving them up through social engineering or phishing. Passkeys, there's no credentials to give up. So that solves a, a bunch of problems. Uh, on the other hand, we have a whole new set of vulnerabilities, unknown ones, as we get smarter and smarter about artificial intelligence, specifically generative AI. No one really knows where it's going. I'm trying to help common sense media establish guardrails for kids' use of AI, and they're trying to rate uh, the safety of AIs for kids. My concern being is that you want large language models. You don't want to train them using source material, which is all about lying to people. So I'm talking to people in the background quietly because, again, my theme really is that I'm not all that smart, but I know how to help the people who are smart, and that seems to work for me. So let's talk about what would good look like. So if you can achieve some of those things, what I heard you say was really paying attention on the large language models that AI and things like AI and blockchain are pulling from to develop generative AI. Um, I heard you say, pay attention to the large language models that are being used. What is that? Are there any other things that you think we should be doing to create good outcomes? And what does good look like? How do we know when we got there if we did it right? Well, what I want to see are uh, chat GPT-like systems using source material, which we know is uh, fact-checked and well-intended. Uh, two sources of that are uh, Wikipedia, but also I've observed that Bloomberg News has a uh, GPT system uh, built already, not available to the public, but they have a pretty strict fact-checking requirements their customers uh, demand that. And I'm just hoping to find some, oh, generative AI systems that are trustworthy. I think they have a lot of great potential, but I've seen ones which are disappointing in that a little probing, and they're what they call hallucinating. But since I'm simple-minded, I just call lying. It's amazing, right? My my nieces and nephews are in school right now. That that same audience you were talking about, how do we effectively equip children to use generative AI and be prepared for the future? One of the skills that I I see missing is not just ignoring that AI is there, but actually how do you recognize when it is lying to you, when you're getting a bad output, it can be really tricky. So I think it's a really important yeah. piece of work to be investing in. Well, fact-checking in that sense is really hard, time-consuming, expensive. As an engineer, I say go after the low-hanging fruit. Just focus on sources which you know are trustworthy. Avoid sources which you know are about lying to us and maybe attacking our country. And folks at Wikipedia have done a good job of analyzing that. There's also possible help coming from a NewsGuard, 
although I guess my heart and my contribution dollars are more with Wikipedia. Talk to me a little bit about the ethics that underpin all of this work. So what do ethics and ethical leadership have to do with building the outcome we want, where we get to use technology, but we're also protected against things like the disinformation warfare and, and uh, just disinformation in general that's, that's so widespread? I really am a little simple-minded. And for that matter, I'm very, very old school. So I remember from uh, Sunday school, there's this uh, Ninth Commandment thing, which prohibits what they call false witness. Not a bad definition of disinformation. And I figure that's uh, an entire ethical framework right there. There are some tough questions, but just find sources which do not bear false witness. I mean, sometimes the best intentioned and most professional of news sources, sometimes they get things wrong. But there's a difference between sometimes getting things wrong and intentionally getting things wrong all the time. Wow, that's a really powerful distinction. How do we make it easier? How do we make security on the web easier for individuals and also for developers so that they can operate with good intention? Well, in terms of security itself, there's that uh, CISA stuff, Shields Up, which is my preferred slogan since I'm, well, I'm more of a trekker than a Trekkie. But anyway, the deal is help people move fast from strong passwords and two-factor authentication to pass keys. And so I've been bugging the big guys to accelerate universal adoption. And that might be working. But also we need to find ways to remind people to patch their systems as fast as possible. When your phone or your notebook says, hey, there's an update, you go ahead and do it. It's harder in large enterprises because sometimes they'll have hundreds or thousands of systems that need to be patched. Now, that's uh, largely automated these days. Now, that's not so bad. The problem is that sometimes people have a lot of servers which are running on old versions of software, very old versions, and we just need to uh, convince companies or whoever to update those systems. I don't know if I have uh, much clout in that argument, but when boards of directors realize that due diligence and insurance and litigation safety requires them to uh, keep things up to date, maybe that will have an effect. I guess I could write about that, although I do worry about what pushback I'll get. Sure. I think, I think these things are pointing already to my next question, but I want to ask this anyway in case there are, is there if there's more that you want to add to it in your view uh what needs to be done at a policy level so you've talked about at a practice level what needs to be implemented and hinted at sometimes policy actually drives that practice sometimes practice drives policy right so what do you think needs to be done at a policy level to really enhance cybersecurity and protect users hey i'm uh not much of a policy guy i'm an engineer and much more pragmatic we do need uh the lawyers and insurance agents to point out due diligence requirements for security in areas like keeping your systems up to date. But also there are systems uh, through the net 
that work with uh, law enforcement and so on. And what they do is that they go around looking for systems that are either infected, say with ransomware, or are being actively operated on by ransomware gangs. So the deal is that we need victim notification systems. The kind of scanning systems I mentioned, we need to find ways that they can safely notify victims where the victims will take those uh, notifications seriously and stop bad guys and fix their systems. So I figure I'll just push in those two areas, getting help from uh, lawyers and others, pointing out due diligence for shareholders and so on. And I think that can work. Well, if you ever do decide to write about either the policy level or the practices level, I'd be I'd be really interested to read it. So I get the pushback uh, concern, but I think it's definitely a topic that we should be talking about and figuring out how to make work. I know our time is almost coming to an end here. And so uh, I want to say uh, thank you not only for today, but for supporting Women Who Code in general. You're supporting Women Who Code this Giving Tuesday that's coming up in November. Can you share with our audience why you decided to support Women Who Code? Um, basically, in philanthropy, I find people who are good at helping other people out in areas like protecting the country, but sometimes uh, you want to give a hand uh, to someone. The idea is that in uh, Sunday school, I really did learn that sometimes your brother's or your sister's keeper, and if you're lucky enough to have done really well, I think it's just the right thing to uh, help a little bit. Well, we really appreciate that. Um, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really lovely conversation. And I also want to say thank you to our listeners for tuning in. Uh, in addition to sharing his thought leadership today, Craig is generously supporting Women Who Code this Giving Tuesday. It's happening on November 28th. Uh, his donation and yours can really help us continue to empower diverse women to excel in technology careers. Uh, early giving has already begun, so feel free to give today and be part of Women Who Code's movement to transform lives and communities by making tech a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive space for women and underserved technologists. Join us on Giving Tuesday on November 28th. Um, now or at the link below, or you can also text to give. Uh, you just text Giving Tuesday 2023 to 844-844-6844. Thank you again, Craig, for joining us today. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you'll come back and chat with us again. Hey, like the Batman says, I might not be the nerd you want, but I'm the nerd you got. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Women Who Code podcast. To find out more about our mission and the work we do across the tech industry, visit our website, womenwhocode.com. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Women Who Code. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel with hundreds of hours of free educational videos. Just go to youtube.com backslash Women Who Code. Thanks again for listening. And remember 
to subscribe, rate, and comment.